I'm Arya Schwartz, along with Eli Horowitz, and welcome to the WNBA Insider Show. Over six weeks, we've been diving deep into each team in the WNBA. This week, we got the Aces from Las Vegas, the newest team in the WNBA. So let's take a look at last year's storyline. They were 12th in offense, guys, 12th and 10th on defense. But that's it's not all gloom and doom, all right? In transition, which we often see with a young, you know, gunning team like they are, in transition, they were 6th and 7th, respectively. So, it, it, you know, they're middle of the pack in transition ball. Eli, as a coach, when you're looking at this, I know, I know just thinking, um, it's funny because when we were talking about New York, New York was horrible at transition ball. And now you have this team that, you know, their strength last year was transition ball. So do you, do you see that kind of being a, I don't know, is it, is it more of an issue when the coach coming in isn't, uh, you know, in his past necessarily, you know, obviously roster and other things, but when the last team he coached transition ball was the biggest weakness. How do you view that coming into a team that strength is transition ball? Is that a positive or a negative? Well, I don't think Bill Lambeer will factor in, you know, what they did last year as far as his vision for the future. I think this is like a complete makeover. Now, obviously, he's inheriting players and as, you know, any good coach is going to try to work with the strengths of the players he has. But if you look at the players he's brought in through free agency, that would suggest to me that he's trying to balance the team and make it less of a like small ball pushing the pace type of team and bring some of that strength, size, and defensive rebounding that he was known for in New York. You know, they really got walked over a lot last year. And I don't mean that just in the sense of the, of the record. They, they really got walked over, and they didn't have that tough personality. So I think it's a positive that you have Bill Lambeer. That's a good fit for this team. Um, but let's talk about the players he's been bringing in. You know, not the most uh, rousing crew of players. I'm big on Tamara Young. In a sense of, I called her as the sleeper of this of this free agency period. We, you know, we talked about the Atlanta Dream and and how they clearly, well, not clearly, but to a certain extent weren't interested because they could have had her back if they wanted her. Um, the Atlanta Dream won the offseason. Just, just kind of a, a grade, if you would, for the Aces. Would you... Would you say as a fan you're a, uh, as a fan of the Aces you would be ex- inspired or excited about who they've brought in this year or do you think it's just a necessary veteran presence? Um, well let me summarize for the people listening what they did. Um, they brought in Carolyn Swords who was an unrestricted free agent. They brought in Tamara Young who was also an unrestricted free agent. They re-signed McBride, who was restricted. They re-signed Colson, who was restricted. They traded for Kelsey Bone and signed her as a restricted free agent. And then they re-upped on Sequoia Holmes and Burdick, who were both reserved, meaning they had exclusive negotiating rights with them. I mean, they add I mean that's one, you know, let's see, that's that's seven players. So, you know, they they he added a lot of depth, and which means it might be a dogfight to make this roster, especially when you factor in the picks coming in. Um, but I don't know. Like if I if I'm being honest, like that that group of players doesn't really inspire me. You know, I think Carolyn Sword's best days are past. 
I think Tamara Young, again, is, uh, you know, she brings some veteran presence to the locker room, but her player efficiency rating for her career is a 10. And she's played long enough where that sample size is pretty legitimate. Kelsey Bone didn't play last year. You know, um, Holmes, Burdick, Colson, those are more reserve complementary players. So, I, you know, none of the players they added to me, I think, really make this team better. Um, obviously Kayla McBride is a stud, but that was like an expected, you know, she was a restricted free agent. So that's something that was assumed to happen. So I don't know. It's one of those things where they did so many moves. It's hard to call them a loser, but if you really take a step back and kind of analyze what they did, I'm not sure they really improved. Well, let's, let's look at it this way. I mean, we often we talk about the teams that are competing for the top spots in the league, and not to be rude or anything, but I don't think it's a, it's a, it's outlandish to say this team isn't competing for a top spot, and they're a few years back. Many would say that they were in a rebuilding process, which kind of makes you scratch your head when some of the moves happen. Um, again, I like the move bringing in Tamara Young because I think that gives a vet presence and a vet who can still play and and produce for the team versus swords. Yeah, but dude, she, she had a 5.5 player efficiency rating last year. And you, you are and nine the year before and eight the year before that. She's never even had a season at 15. You know, maybe I'm harping. I feel like I've used PER a lot, but I, and just to explain that briefly, like, I'm just trying not to throw so many different numbers out there. And I feel like since we've used PR on other podcasts, like I'm just kind of using that as a baseline. So listeners have can at least compare to our past podcasts. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think we might be disagreeing on this one. Like with Brie, I don't see her as a starter. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, no, but I don't like to No, But to me, I'm not viewing her as a star. What I, I'm not saying like I'm viewing her as all right. Look at the vets that they brought in. And who could who could like legitimately have a positive impact on this team? I think Swords could, but you know, like I all right, if you're looking at it in the in the in the basis of all right, which of these two players, if they're completely healthy and performing, can be better for the team? I think Swords is the answer, but I don't think she can really play anymore. And as a lot of people, I'm hearing people say, you know, can she still produce for a full season with Tamara Young? I think she'll give you some spurts. I'm not saying that you know. Stats are going to back me up on this or that or that she's a, a top tier talent. But I think when you have so many young players, you need someone who can vibe with them and you need someone who can run with them. And she still has some some crossovers with her. You know, she can still she can still pull back and, and knock down a jumper or two. Yeah, I just, you know, the area she shines is really the mid range game. And I just think, you know, she doesn't really rebound. She just doesn't provide assists, steals or blocks. Um She's never shot the three ball above 35%. Her player efficiency rating isn't good. Um, you know, her offensive win shares for her career are negative. Um, so, again, like, I, I'm going to agree to disagree on this one. I don't think she makes them, like, a significantly better basketball team. And along with Swords, like, you know, this team has some young bigs and Isabel Harrison and Dierica Hamby. And now you're going to give minutes to players that are way past their prime and who really analytically don't necessarily make the, the team better. And if they're not making them better, 
you know, then they shouldn't be there. I'll just say that. But my thought is, answer me this. Do you see a jump next season for Kelsey Plum? I do. I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, she was the first pick. She she can shoot the ball. Um, I think she's someone who really benefit from just like the more games she plays, the better she'll get. I don't necessarily project her to be kind of like a perennial all-star player that maybe you'd obviously hope with the number one pick in a draft. I think she was the benefit of being in a weak draft and as a result was the top pick. But I do think she'll be a, a very good shooter at the least. I mean, do you think... Uh... Let's put her in this year's draft. Do you th- and and all of her accolades stay with her. She still sets the record, and then she comes into the W. Do you re- do you think she doesn't go top five, top ten in this year's draft? I mean, I believe she probably would. She would definitely be a first round pick and and a pretty high one. But I'm just saying, like as you can see, like she definitely wouldn't be the first pick. And I think you could definitely argue three, four, five, six players this year who I'd take ahead of her also have the benefit of knowing of her struggles in her rookie year. So it's kind of a tough question to answer, but she wouldn't even, I wouldn't even consider her, you know, my top two or three. Okay. So you're, you're Bill Lambeer right now. All right. You're going into the draft and this is a two part question that kind of is a little bit broad. So excuse me on this one. One, are you focusing your efforts on this team's defensive miscues or are you focusing on the offensive miscues and the reason I'm I'm pairing it with this question is because they have the number one draft pick. All right, they got the number one pick in the draft, and there's been some chatter on the blog sites. There's been some chatter throughout the different people who cover the league whether or not Bill's shopping the pick. Now, do you think if you're him, I I know our opinions on this. At least my opinion, I'll speak right out. If I'm him, I'd be thinking about it. If there's an opportunity to trade back and get you know two picks for the price of one. In the top five, I take it because I think Chicago has the most to gain from this draft just because they have the two picks and now Indy too. Um, so what, what do you think, Bill? Is he looking for an offensive – is he going to focus his efforts offensively or defensively in short? In the draft or overall? Overall, but I want you to include you know, your thoughts on his drafting. I think he's taking Asia Wilson. I think, you know, I know, you know a month ago there were those rumors swirling and we talked about the potential to try to trade back. Um, but I think like we've seen in this league that you have to have elite bigs to win at a high level. Right. When you look at all the contenders in the league, you know, Phoenix, Minnesota, L.A. start there. And then if you want to talk about Connecticut with John Quill Jones and Shanae Bumakwe, you need elite bigs. And I think even if you listen back to our podcast on Atlanta, our only our biggest reservation is, wow, they have a lot of depth at the bigs. But do they have like elite bigs? And I think Asia Wilson just has the potential to be that you know, elite big that can, you know, be at that level with, you know, Tina Charles. Four or five. Well, let me get to that. But, like, my point is, like, I'm not predicting she will be, like, I'm not saying she's going to be as good as Sylvia Fowles or Brittany Griner, but I'm saying she has the skill set as a prospect to be on that level with Tina Charles and Sylvia Fowles and Brittany Griner and, you know, John Quell Jones. Um, so I think you just can't pass up on a player like that when we've seen like to win at the highest levels you need to have that type of a threat 
With a team that's so young and, you know, you're getting the number one pick, so you have another super young player coming to this team. I mean, I'm looking at it. You got three players who have been in the league for four years, and then you got Carolyn Sword six years, and Tamara Young, ten. Now, other than that, you're talking like everybody's one or two years in. You got a couple threes, but like this team is so young, and you're adding another young player. What it, like what does that do to you as as a coach's mentality of like how much? Again, I I don't want to harp on this too much. It's a condensed season. That's less time for player development. Do you think that hampers their ability to rebuild quicker? The like the ability that let's say. You know, is Indiana in a better place to rebuild than the Aces because they have a little bit more age in them and they can guide their youth? Well, Vegas having that first pick, if, I mean, if you're adding somebody who's like the centerpiece to your team, um, I do think Indy, you know, having two picks for the second and eight could be right there. I, I think they're about even. So I think now it comes down to execution, right? Which coach do you believe will be able to revamp the roster and coach at a higher level. Um, you know, probably, I think Vegas is honestly starting a little bit ahead of Indiana just because I think you have Plum, Jefferson, and McBride. And so you have three guards that could be really good. Uh, McBride, I think, is already, like, proven to be at that level. I don't think Indiana has that, even close to that kind of, like, talent as far as guards. Um I think that it just wasn't being fostered correctly in San Antonio the last couple of years. So I think I think Vegas has a lot more top-end talent than Indiana, and now they're going to add the first pick. Now, I think, you know, we've said Pokey did a great job to get that eighth pick, so now they'll get two. But I would say, you know, even though, you know, I, I would say Vegas, I would, if I'm a betting man, you know, Vegas – no pun intended, I would say, is a tier above Indiana just because they already have three like good guards and they're going to add someone like Asia Wilson. You know, That's potentially like four starters right there that you could kind of see growing into a decent team. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I agree with you, definitely. You know, Indiana just has a lot more work to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, like who on – like I know this isn't a fever podcast, but I, to me they just – like other than Erica Wheeler, like – you know, and a couple of veterans they still have. Like Erica Wheeler's the only piece there where you're like, okay, that's one of our five starters of the future. Whereas I feel like once you add Asia Wilson to the equation, Vegas is going to have four players you can build around. True, but add in, you know, whoever Indy's getting at two, and then you got two players to build around, and and a vet who with you know with Dupree who can who can stand in there with you. I think one of the bigger issues though is, you know, can, I don't want to get too into it. I'm not going to get too into Indy now, but I, I do like the comparison of comparing these teams because when we're talking about the teams that are competing for top talents or top positions in the league, that top tier, we compare them to the other teams in there in that section of our viewpoint. And so I think, you know, aces and fever are kind of in that same position for me. Yeah, the number one pick's an amazing spot, but to have two in the top eight, I'm leaning more towards Indy. I think starting off, I agree with you, though. Aces are in a better spot. They kind of got the ace in the pocket, if you will. Um, Shameless shameless pun. Right. Well, what, you know, 
one thing I don't, I, I think like Vegas is in a good possession by luck of what they already have and having the first pick. I don't think Bill Lambeer necessarily did himself favors in terms of rebuilding. You know, for example, in their trade to get Kelsey Bone, they gave up a 2018 third round pick and a 2019 second rounder. Now you, you might sit there at home saying, big deal, those are meaningless picks, but I just don't look at it that way, you know, especially that 2019 second round pick. If that's the first pick in the second round, like the 13th pick overall, that can be a really good player, even in the third round. Like, if you draft well and you do your homework, you never know who you could get. And to to give up those two picks for a player in Kelsey Bone, that it just is that player in your long term plan. So I think like Vegas is better set up with who they already have, but Indiana made moves to get younger and get draft picks where it's. Vegas added older players and gave up draft picks. And I think that's where we both say, like, that's a little bit head-scratching when you're trying to rebuild a team. I think uh, when I've talked about this, and maybe I'm just beating it dead, but, like, I, I when I look at the, the style of moves that Bill's making, to me, again, I, I, I harp on this over and over in the podcast because I think there's this old-school mentality in the W, and then there's this new age of of, of style. And... Cheryl's on the forefront of that. You got Kurt Miller. Now Katie Smith is in on it, and I'm excited to see what she's got in hand. Nikki. And and these new coaches, these young coaches who are willing to push envelopes and take risks. And and because we're getting to a point in this in this league where they have more information and more stats and stuff like that, they can get information on players and make educated second-round picks in deeper drafts that, you know, in a in a, a couple of years ago, they might have been able to get a, a top tier talent in the second or third round, but they wouldn't have had the ability to learn those stats or yeah. view the videotapes on it. Right, and I'll shout out that her hoop stats. Um, you know, they they don't have WNBA yet, but they have college stats that are advanced analytics, kind of what you what we get to see on Synergy. And yeah, like you said, the resources are they're still way beyond, behind what they should be. But like you said, and that and that's I think. Not to beat this to a dead horse, but I think we do need to kind of emphasize, like, that's why some of these moves are a little head-scratching, and not just with Las Vegas. Like, when you dive into some of the players they signed and and other teams around the league, some of these players just, you know, when you look at the numbers and the advanced analytics... it, they don't seem like players that actually make you a better team. And when you're giving up draft picks for that, it, is it? I think we have the right to question that. Answer you know, wouldn't this. you say? Answer me this. And and this is something that I, I find myself and you know, I when I talk to players or when I talk to coaches, I want to ask them this also. So I try, if I get the opportunity, I want your take on this. Is it naive? Is it youthful thinking of us or, you know, more generalized thinking of us that we think that, you know, go to the draft, get some new talent and the way I view it often is I know what, you know, I know what Kayla Alexander Alexander's worth is because she's been in the season for or in the league for five seasons. You know, are we naive to think that the the mystery box based off of the college sample size is is not as enticing as we think it is? I think that, you know, the, the, every year, in my opinion, more and more, there's more and more talent. Like, I think athletes get better. You see it on the men's side, too. You know, 
There's better information about nutrition. There's better information about training. There's, you know, more opportunities to play year round, whether it be AAU teams or camps um, or tournaments. So I guess maybe it's the optimist in me, but I just feel like talent kind of rises and it might be a very slow rise year over year. So I just feel like, you know, there's going to be more and more talent. And I, I think the W and, and I actually spoke to sources about this GMs and coaches, and I've heard very different things from different people, but I feel like there isn't yet a consensus in the WNBA of like what the value of a first round pick is. Whereas I know in other leagues, there, I feel like there's more of market dynamics in play. Like what a lot of GMs were telling me is like, oh, it depends what position you're in. So if you're trying to win now, you don't value a first-round pick as much. And if you're trying to win in the future, you value it more. But I feel like I think you and I are trying to fight that logic a little bit and say, okay, I get that to some extent. But at the end of the day, if, a, if it's a draft where the top eight players are the potential to be all-stars, then I think there has to be a consensus on kind of how valuable that pick is, even if you are in a win now mode, that you know you might be giving up a future all star, and you're trading that for you know a backup point guard. We'll put it this way, also. Think- put it this way. I think we talked about this. Not only that, but you know, other teams are making moves to become better. So not only is it's a chess game of evaluating. You might want to be winning now, but by by trading around your first your first round draft pick. You're giving somebody who maybe is saying, I want to win in a few years, an opportunity to get a player that might impact them this year. How are other teams getting better to try and get to that area where they're in a win-now mode? Because isn't that the ultimate goal, to be in a win-now series or a win-now mentality? Well, exactly. Like The only way you're going to improve, if you're not a contender now, how are you going to improve? Trades, free agency, and the draft. And there's not a lot of trades in the WNBA right now. And free agents tend to, you know, this year we had some surprises like Renee Montgomery. But I think the top free agents tend to resign with their own teams. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, Elena Deladon going to Washington, that was like historic. That just doesn't happen in the WNBA. You know, it's not like the NBA where you have Kevin Durant leaving teams and LeBron leaving teams left and right. Like, most free agents re-sign with their teams and there's not a lot of trades. So I feel like in some ways the draft then is even more important as a way to improve. It's funny you say that though because last year everybody was going on, or like I think coming into this pre this preseason, this free agency period, a lot of people, because last year was so crazy with Elena Deladon, everyone was like, guys, don't get your hopes up, stay calm. And this free, this free agency period has been pretty wild for the WNBA. It definitely has. I think what held it back is just like the names themselves weren't that huge. Like if Renee Montgomery, you know, was arguably like the biggest signing and she's like a top end backup, but still ultimately a backup point guard. um, It's not like we saw, you know, Chelsea Gray on the move or, you know, Maya Moore or anything crazy like that. But my bigger point and back to Elena Beard, who really could right, and just to link it back to Vegas is like that's kind of my point. Like at the end of the day, is Vegas trading that second round pick going to be the difference of like whether they can be contenders down the road with Asia Wilson and Kayla McBride? No, but these little moves add up, right? If you're trading away multiple picks every year, if you're not valuing those draft picks, moves add up and moves spiral. You know, maybe that maybe. Maybe he could have packaged that second 
and third round pick and a young player, you know, maybe what if Isabel Harrison has a great year this year and then suddenly you could have traded her and that second round pick for a first round pick. You know what I'm saying? So I think you have to hold on to those draft assets unless you feel like you're really upgrading or you're in a clear win now position. And they aren't. And that's why I think, you know, again, I would love to have somebody come up here and, and tell us off. Tell us why we're wrong about the value we're putting on the draft. Because I'm 100% with you when you say the talent just keeps getting bigger. Nutrition, it gets cheaper. Um, you know, there's so many ways that players naturally get bigger. You know, like nowadays you have more and more tools for female athletes as much as they are struggling and, and not getting the attention and the resources they need compared to before. Like, come on. Come on. So so I want to... And I mean, also, well, just also like real quick, last comment on this is I think some coaches are starting to say that. Like, you know, I know... I know Atlanta is confident they can get a good player this year at the 16th pick. Now, you had Cheryl Reeves say there's nobody we could have got better than Daniel Robinson at number 12, but then you have another coach saying we feel at 16 we can get a quality player. So I think, I think, that, I think that'll change more time and time. I think, we're, I think teams will start to dra- value draft picks a little bit more. Now, I have the, the only counter – I'll leave it with this. The only counter argument that I have heard – teams say is that listen there's only 12 teams so there's not a lot of roster spots so it's really hard to make the team and so some coaches have said we may not value the drafts quite as much because even if you get a good player sometimes you have to cut that player or sometimes you have to cut another good player just because there's so few teams so i think that's definitely a fair counterpoint um so uh, you know just to provide some balance oh yeah i mean i think that's definitely you only have so many roster spots and you know with contracts and and and, and all that jazz it makes it really hard we've talked about it a lot in other podcasts something I, I know we want to talk about asia and this has to do with the fan question so i want to read the fan question um and it's from audra Megaha, and I'm I'm for sure I'm getting the name wrong, so I'm sorry. Uh, no, I think we got it right because we 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 had a question of her before, and she told me we we uh, okay, right. awesome, well, great, and glad to see that we're getting uh, returning uh, viewers and listeners. You know, uh, please send us more messages about any team. We got a lot of cool stuff coming up. But to get back to her question, her question is: Is there any chance that Bill Lambier would pass on Asia Wilson, and under what circumstances, barring injury? Um, and I want to follow that up with, uh, and the reason why I'm connecting these two is because I think this is important looking at the roster. Do you see her as a four or a five going into this league? Um, and I think that ha- I think that's a big importance. I was getting into fights with people on Twitter about this because, first of all, like at the end of the day, we can debate all day is she a four or a five. At the end of the day, it's like it's a pretty meaningless classification. I because of I look at. Vegas and say, hmm, you have Mariah Jefferson, Kelsey Plum, and Kayla McBride. You have three guards who can push the ball and shoot. And so to me, I would like Asia Wilson to play the five, where, where, and then you find a stretch four who can really knock down threes to go next to her and really try to be a, an athletic team. Because you're going to have Wilson, who's a young athletic player. She can run the court, and then you'd have a stretch four who can shoot the three. Now, obviously, people on Twitter and rightfully made points that like they'd be killed on the glass and they'd be killed defensively. And I, I understand that, but sometimes you have to give something up for a, for a greater goal. And I feel like if they were trying to be just like 
the best offensive team in the league, that small ball approach could work. Um, you know, if you put her at the four, the issue then is now you're going to have, now you're going to have to, you know, she's, I, I've heard she's been working on the ability to shoot the three, but that's definitely not a proven for her. So my issue with her at the four is now you have two non-shooters on the court. Um, and I think the way basketball is going, it's just going to be harder and harder to compete when you, when you're not playing, you know, four people that can shoot. And I think, you know, Minnesota making sure Brunson had that is proof. You know, you, you got to have four that can shoot the ball. So, so you're saying obviously she's a five, which, which I respect, but I, and I think you kind of, well, I'm not saying she's a five. I'm just saying, I think she can play and with the five this team, it makes most and sense. that it fits, it fits the, it fits the style of the guards more so to have her as a five. Well, I think that's something interesting also that t- people need to look at with this team is, is kind of, all right, we talked about this transition was their strength. So you got to kind of play to that to a certain extent. And I think this will be really telling. I don't think there's a way that bill doesn't, doesn't go with Asia unless he, he go. I mean, the only way I could see her not being on this roster come season is if they, you know, like a draft and trade for something ridiculous, which I don't think he's, he's risky enough to do that. Um, but what I think is interesting is, and it's going to be telling is, we touched on this. Bill's offseason moves didn't feed to the strengths of this team. Now, was he trying to shore up some weaknesses? Possibly. But let's see how this team works. Are they going to be moving and playing her at the five and working to the strength, which is transition and having a powerful, fast offensive team? Uh, you know, do you kind of pick, all right, we're going to be weak at something? Uh, let me be clear. I'm, I'm very... I'm very confident that she'll be playing the four for them. Okay. Let me just say that. Whether I agree with that. But I, I, I would like to see her get a lot of minutes at the five, but I believe she'll be used as a four. Okay. No, it totally makes, makes sense. sense. I mean, I think we've seen that. He, she was in an interview – or he was – sorry. He was in an interview with uh, Howard Megdal of uh, Summit. And, you know, and we heard him say that. She, he, does, he sees her being pushed around, and I think that kind of led to a lot of – a lot of fans saying no. There's no way she could. They kind of built off that and kind of viewed their uh, their opinion off of what he said. And there's a lot to be said about that. He's much more knowledgeable than us. But we're here to critique him and say, you know, what's your basis for that? And we see why you could be wrong. Um, and on that note, you know, I think it's it's something interesting. I just want you to get one more take. Where do you see? End of the season next year, uh, one through twelve. Where is this team placed in the uh, the final rankings? You know, the one thing that I, one of the reasons I love the WNBA is that there's only twelve teams. So honestly, like every team has like a fighting chance to make the playoffs when you start the season. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just eight out of twelve make it, right? So and it's only thirty four games. So if you get hot. Um, and, and Bill Lambeer's team had a 10-game winning streak last year, like, you give yourself a chance. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. You know, I think they're towards the bottom, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12. And, that, again, that's not a criticism of the coaching of the players. I just think they're, you know, they're in a rebuild. I, I expect them to take some strides, but I still think they're a year or two away from being in the playoffs. But, you know, um, as much as I think at times we, we have had some critical takes, um, you know, Lambeer's won multiple titles and his teams in New York were always really good in the regular season. And so, you know, 
you might actually think this is a hot take based off how critical I've been of some of the offseason moves. That I, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if they're kind of in the hunt for the eight seed. Again, I'm predicting they miss the playoffs. I'm predicting they miss the playoffs. But I wouldn't be surprised if they are kind of flirting with the eight seed. You know, maybe two or three games out or, you know, with 10 games left of the season, they still have a chance. I just think that Asia Wilson is somebody who I think could be good right away. Kayla McBride is a proven scorer. And to give Bill Lambeer some credit, his teams always defend and rebound. And it gives you a chance. So, again, I predict they miss the playoffs, but I actually think they're going to be a little bit better than people think. I was actually, you know... You're, su- you're surprised to have me hear that, right? I'm surprised to have you hear that, honestly, because I thought I was going to have the hot take saying that they were going to be the ninth, the ninth, uh, the ninth ranked team. I, I, I thought that was going to be my hot take that was going to pull the <laughs> headlines. Because, like, I, I agree with you. As much as, we, as much as we crap on Bill and we crap on some of his moves, there's something to be said about what he's been able to do with the teams he's had. And I'm not going to give it away to just, oh, he had Tina Charles or, oh, he had these players. No, he's a really good coach. Um, and I think that this team is going to surprise some people. I think Indy's going to be, you know, 11th or 12th. But watch out. You heard it here first, guys. You know, WNBA Insider, both Eli and I think that the Las Vegas Aces are going to jump a little bit and, and be on the ninth-ranked team leading as the, as the season ends. Guys, this has been the WNBA Insider Show with Eli Horowitz, and I'm Ari Schwartz. Eli Horowitz at Coach Horowitz on Twitter, and follow me at WNBA Insider, and also online, get more podcasts on, on uh, iTunes, Hear our stuff on our website and, uh, you know, give us some of your hot takes and your views. We want to hear from you.